Hello and welcome to Month of Sundays, the podcast bringing you political commentary on entertainment media from the perpetual Sunday of suburban ennui. I'm Ruben. And I'm Livy. And today we are discussing the films, well three films, of Josephine Decker, who is a Texan, now New York artist and filmmaker who made a film that you might all be aware of that came out this year, was in cinemas just before this most recent lockdown in Britain, uh, in Britain called Sher- Shirley, about Shirley Jackson, which was brilliant. Yeah, uh, all these films it. are brilliant, actually, so we won't go on about how brilliant they all are. But we all have been very much taken with all these films, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Our angle this week, just to say, uh, before we go into the specifics of, of the films that we're doing, um, we're thinking about Josephine Decker, we think, as we say, is like a fantastic kind of new talent. Um, and we're thinking about Josephine Decker and the politics of the muse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so stay tuned if you like the sound of that. If someone happens not to know what a muse is, can you quickly describe? Uh, a muse is mm. a uh, often female, although not necessarily, um, individual who inspires art in the yeah. modern sense um i mean the, the ancient sense of the muses is a tiny weeny bit different uh yeah. we used to think they used to, i think there's it's seven greek, right? there's seven ancient greek muses mm-hmm. yeah uh and uh there's there's a muse of each art and the idea is when you're creatively inspired there's none of this in the kind of you know ancient greek conception there's none of this like sort of romantic and post-romantic sense of this kind of individual genius mm-hmm. um, at work alone. Rather, the idea of genius is something that kind of moves through a person to create yeah. work inspired by a muse. So it's yeah. not, work isn't so personalised. There's not quite so much ego about it. It's the idea that a muse kind of moves through you and and genius moves through yeah, you so the your, start your, your genius moves ancient through Greek you. poems and stuff they invoke the muse don't they and yeah sing and ask them to sing through them and stuff. so famously um the iliad begins sing goddess of the wrath of achilles yeah, uh, and okay. that's referring to one of the muses who were kind of like little goddesses yeah um so yeah so that's the that's the ancient sense of muse but yeah as a, in, in a more in more romantic conception um, or, you know, a bit later or whatever, often a muse has been kind of just used as kind of any, uh, as I say, often female and often rather problematically female um, individual that inspires an artist's work. Yeah. Which an artist's work. Yeah. So, so for Petrarch, say, Petrarch's whole thing was writing um, all these sonnets um, about this kind of unattainable love laura so so yeah, like so yeah. that's like a very famous, like a famous example muse, of yeah. museship yeah. yeah it was a famous more modern muse i wonder a modern muse. i mean more. i mean lots of filmmakers have muses yeah, don't they yeah, in a way like really sort of act- actresses and actresses, actors, yeah. yeah like yeah, the women true. of lynch for the example lynch, yeah and that's, that's a, maybe a nicer version of something yeah. that can be usually quite unpleasant like there's lots of uh, examples of, hitchcock, of i think yeah exactly and, like and hitchcock was famously quite horrible to his to his female stars so yeah yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, we're discussing that basically in comparison with three of Decker's films. Her three most recent, uh, I think maybe not actually, but her three, three, her three most famous films probably. Which she are hasn't made ma- many. That, not that many, no, no, no. And lots of short films and stuff as well, but we haven't seen any of them sadly. Uh, but we'll try and seek them out probably. So we're going to be discussing Shirley, which, as I said, is came out this year. 
is now available to watch, I think, on the internet and stuff. You know, you can buy it, I, th- I think, I'm sure on you iTunes and all it, those yeah. things. Uh, starring Elizabeth Moss as Shirley Jackson and about Shirley Jackson's relationship with her husband. Who Shirley was... Jackson, uh, for listeners you don't know, is a, um American Gothic writer. Oh, she, yeah. only I only say listeners don't know because I think she's maybe even more famous in the US than she is here. Yeah, uh, she famously yeah. wrote The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, yeah, and yeah. we have always lived in the castle as well. Uh, yeah, and, well. and lots of quite famous short stories as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we, she, we're recent um, fans Convert, of yeah. uh, Shelley Jackson in a similar way that we're very recent fans of Joseph and Decker and have got very fair, into her. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so it was a, it was the perfect combination of film for yeah. us. Uh, and Shelley Jackson's husband, which is what the film was partly about, was quite a famous literary critic as well, Stanley Edgar Hyman. But it's about their relationship with two younger people who come to their house. Yeah, it's we'll fictional. Yeah, it's um, fictional. The two younger people are fictional. Yeah, yeah. But it's based on real people. And then another uh, her film before that was called Madeline's Madeline. It's about a young girl in New York in a theatre company and her complicated really with her mum and with her um, theatre sort of director. Yeah, with her with the director of her theatre company, which is a kind of an experimental. Uh, theatre company in the same way that Josephine Decker herself makes kind of experimental films yeah so there's there's a lot of quite kind of meta like very obviously meta stuff going on about filmmaking in in that Definitely, one yeah and yeah the, the 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 extent to which the use of the theatre company in that is sort of ironic and not ironic is I think quite quite difficult and unclear probably as well yeah interestingly yeah, ambiguous interesting, definitely ambiguous, yeah. okay. and then the last film that we're examining is uh, the earliest of these films yeah, uh, but and- still only about 2014 I think it was called Thou Wast Mild and Lovely it's also very good it's um, a film about a man who comes and works on a farm and his complicated relationship with the woman the daughter of the farmer who works there and the daughter's sort of um, I don't know how to explain it without spoiling what happens uh, we're, I think we're going to spoil things on this <laughs> podcast, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't necessarily... Do we need to spoil the whole plot of that no, one? I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, I, it's... It, it, I'll, I'll just say that it's um, uh, a film which begins in this kind of, yeah, sort of with this sensual um, kind of bubbling up underneath the surface relationship. Uh, the protagonist, um, the girl who, like the film is sort of partly seemingly mediated through her consciousness, although it's never quite clear, um, is this kind of... Um, I was thinking about her in terms of um, the work of Carson McCullers, mm-hmm. who wrote stuff like um, Novelist, who wrote stuff like um, uh, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter and um, The Member of the Wedding. And she has these um, these young girls, particularly in The Member of the Wedding, but also in The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, these uh, young girl protagonists kind of... 12 or 13 mm-hmm. type age like early adolescent and they're always kind of tomboy they're a little bit like frankie from um uh not frankie sorry they're a little bit like uh one of them is called frankie but they're a little bit like uh scout from to kill a mockingbird yeah, yeah. um but slightly older and the idea is that these kind of tomboys but on the on the brink of like adolescence and sort yeah, of sexual yeah. maturity and the the and, and they're in these sort of american rural settings um nice, yeah. so the protagonist of uh this film that was mild and lovely had a little bit of um an element of a character like yeah. that although she was she was slight she was older she was an adult or yeah, a, yeah, yeah. uh or a, or a young adult um but she had that kind of thing of uh interesting thing interesting sort of um i think 
much coveted by those artists who sort of have muses in this again slightly mm. problematic way that kind of combination of naivety and sort of and you know like being sort of sexual ingenue and yeah, also yeah. being kind of you know desiring sex and and, and and like kind of coming into adolescence so she seems like one of those kind of stock characters yeah, from something yeah. a little bit like that yeah definitely um but it's kind of complicated in an interesting definitely way very complicated yeah and so the, these films are interesting they're stylistically all quite similar i think and she has a very distinct style which is very cool um, they're if you were to compare them to other films, I guess they're sort of Malik, Malikian, Terence like like the films of Terence Malik. They're a bit like um, you said that, that was mild and lovely. It is very much like uh, Days of Heaven, mm-hmm. definitely, which is a great Terence Malik film in, in a sort of similar setting, but also the sort of uh, yeah relationships between the characters and the sort of claustrophobia of the expansive setting. I guess is yeah sort of carried over. I think. Of these sort of wide, these wide settings feeling claustrophobic in some ways and stuff it, it, it's interesting although although despite its title it's set in the modern day that was my modern lovely isn't it yeah it is it's i think it's kind of um uh, we couldn't work out what the title was it was a reference to if it is a reference to anything um but I, I, we kind of said it has the feel of a kind of pastoral poem doesn't yeah, it yeah, the definitely. idea of um pastoral uh uh william empson says about the pastoral that the pastoral is kind of um the idea of something complex made simple uh, which i think is quite an never. interesting idea for the, from this film because what happens in this film is i, I got slightly derailed and describing the protagonist but th- it's this relationship between this kind of seemingly possibly naive protagonist and yeah. but actually kind of more knowing than she seems and this um farm worker who comes to the farm all um, sort of uh, under the eye of um, the girl's slightly creepy, predatory, kind of like slightly threatening father. Yeah. And towards the end of the film, um, the film kind of bubbles over into violence and there's this explosion of violence and kind of um, after a sort of sexual uh, culmination earlier in the film and and, and sort of various sexual um, uh, subplots sort of bubbling under the surface or, or not subplots, but... Uh, different relationships bubbling yeah. under the surface um when um the farmhand's wife comes into the picture there's this kind of big sexual violent culmination to the film and the, yeah, the film yeah, almost yeah. seems to shift genre definitely um, yeah, yeah definitely that's the thing it's not although i said it's like a terence malick film it's very much not like a terence malick film in the sort of sudden genre shift into almost into, horror into almost yeah a horror film or like a psychological thriller film or something yeah. i guess like yeah it's very violent very um explicitly erotic i guess and so there you've got this idea of the pastoral because we're in this kind of rural setting and, and then the title is pastoral um we, the, the idea of um the complex into the simple because uh the, you know the pastoral genre turns out to have something else in it as well it turns out to yeah, have a kind yeah. of a violent underbelly another genre hidden within it um and also the specific way that this um sort of um uh unpacking of genre and and complication happens i think is quite telling for uh what's going to be really interesting about muse relationships and the politics of muse relationships in um decker's latest films but later films as well because um the the specific kind of complication that happens at the end is there's this um uh really weird uh sexual dynamic going on between um the wife uh the girl on the farm who as i say is our kind of um like carson mccullough's like protagonist 
antagonist, yeah. her father and the farmhand, um, and uh, where uh, a really, really sinister bit where um, a kind of passed out uh, drunk um uh the wife is passed out and drunk on the sofa yeah. and um uh the protagonist and the the, the farmhand are kind of jointly feeling her up basically yeah, like yeah. the um the um protagonist is like guiding she's called sarah sarah is guiding the hands of the farmhand over his wife's body wife, and yeah. this is all kind of leered over by the father who's making kind of lewd comments at the same time yeah, and also yeah. quite sinister comments but then this kind of after this kind of slightly predatory thing goes on, um, something kind of even more complicated maybe goes on where um, I say slightly predatory, they're very predatory, um, where uh, they all go off and then return and Sarah, the protagonist and the wife are sitting on the sofa together chatting um, and um, the farmhand comes back in um, to, to find sarah uh, not to find sarah sorry to find his wife and to check she's okay and all of this stuff he gets kind of blindfolded and there's this weird uh sort of direct like kind of almost directorial um episode of sex yeah. in which the two women kind of direct this complicated sexual experience um yeah with, and when you say direct you mean because the man is blindfolded and because they are literally direct because they are literally guiding what he does yeah and it's a weird moment after this kind of rivalry between the two women and this kind of weird um almost like um abuse and voyeurism on behalf of the men that sarah carries yeah. out previously there's this kind of weird um collaboration to serve the needs of man but in something that is kind of like driven by the agency of women yeah. so it's this quite complicated this this quite complicated gender thing made and you think feels reconciliatory as well right like you're thinking oh this isn't where i expected this film to go you expect them all to have a big argument basically yeah yeah you, it's not at all where you expect the film yeah. to go which also means because you're i mean it still feels uneasy 100 yeah. percent, but because you're kind of lulled into that space you don't really know quite where it's going next either you kind of think well i yeah, expect yeah. to go here and then where it does go next is that um, the father and the father's friend are revealed to have been watching the sexual experience. You don't know for quite how long. Yeah, you don't know whether Sarah are, yeah. is aware of it. But like there's um, this sort of clever thing with the camera where you never see one half of the room, do, do you? And so you're completely unaware whether they've been watching it for ages or they've been ju or they've just walked in. And the father and his friend make a typically lewd comment again. Yeah, and then and at that point, it's when uh, the film bubbles over into violence and the dad starts like hitting people with his walking stick and you know like bloodying them basically yeah, and yeah. anyway i won't describe all of the intricacies of that but like that um so there's a kind of th th this th this um weird uh relationship between women um in guiding kind of sexual experience because what we have is something that seems like uh, it's it, it's guided by women and led by women and is mm -hmm. guided and led by women, but something that also kind of relies because of the context in which it's placed, which is all about getting this getting this man, um, like achieving this sort of sexual satisfaction and therefore the kind of ownership over this man, uh, and also it's implied kind of ple pleasing the male voyeurs yeah, otherwise yeah. positioned in this room. It's this act of collaboration um between women this kind of creative act of collaboration if we can refer to sex in that yeah, this yeah. way um which is necessarily finite which is going to be stopped because at, at the end of the day one of the women has to be in this kind of patriarchal context 
one of the women has to be the one um, who's going to kind of win out and who's going to escape the patriarchal bind. And she has to use the other woman in order to do this as Sarah previously uses um, the wife character, Drew, as Sarah previously uses Drew in this kind of objectifying way. And I I think Mm -hmm. it's, it might not seem like much um, at this stage in this film, um, but I think, in there there's this kind of nascent metaphor for what becomes josephine decker's kind of key concern in her later films which is as i say the relationship between women and women um the use of kind of muse-like figures um other female muse-like figures for um women's creativity and how that functions in a patriarchal context whether that can survive in a patriarchal context because what really surprisingly happens in thou was smart and lovely which we're kind of not expecting um is that instead of this character we've been following the whole way sarah instead of that woman coming out on top the woman who comes out on top is the wife and the wife wife. and the wife kills Sarah and her father, or at least... Sarah kills her father and the wife kills kills Sarah. She drags her wounded husband and her child to the car and the final image of the film is... It's very shocking because because Drew has only been introduced in like, you know, like kind of the the end of the second act or whatever, you know, of the film. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Or the beginning of the third or whatever, you know. She she seems like an addition. Um, But I think it's showing us so i think the film is showing us something important about the extent to which women can have agency in these kind of sort of um uh circuses of masculine fantasy because the film is playing very much with the kind of the um uh the kind of the 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 great male fantasies basically you know like yeah. that, that that's the, that's one of the kind of the preoccupations of the of the film um this uh farmhands kind of lusting after yeah um, Sarah and even and imagined sequences of kind of almost like pornographic bits because you think because the earlier sex scene in the film which is when he cheats on his wife with Sarah yeah you think that he has directed the scene uh, as in he it's his sort of instigator instigated thing the first time well you it's watch quite it. it's quite rough sex as well yeah, he throws yeah, exactly. her down on the bank you there's a there's a worry that it's even sexual assault yeah, yeah like, exactly but then afterward you realize and i think it's very purposeful that you only find this out after that that the whole thing is directed by sarah and it's exactly what she's sort of she's planned it since the start of the day sort of thing absolutely yeah in that exact order with the cows watching another way um again kind of related to this idea of pastoral just to quickly come back to that that idea of pastoral um uh with that thing i was talking about about complication and the relationships between women um I mean, it's just what we've been saying, but um, if the pastoral is sort of putting the complex into the simple, mm-hmm. uh, into into the imagery of the simple, then we kind of, and this film is kind of reversing that process, it's depastoralizing a pastoral scene, mm-hmm. um, then we have uh, Sarah um, as this kind of seeming uh, kind of, uh, she's going to be this kind of empowered protagonist yeah. um even if we kind of you, you know she's going to escape um this kind of horrible patriarchal society and have and have her own desires and have her own ways uh and actually what we get is the kind of the messiness and the complication of that when you kind of bring other elements in from the outside yeah exactly and show the reality of this patriarchal society and that um you know drew is sarah is profiting off drew's misery and kind of by necessity in this really unpleasant way you know she's profiting off sort of marginalizing somebody else in in order to for her own 
um, sort of success. So that, I, I think that, that that's just to take that back to the idea of pastoral, but also um, it, when we're talking about earlier in the film when it does seem like Sarah's going to have the upper hand and it's going to be sort of Sarah's sort of directorial or creative power, um, the kind of the only... Um, into Sarah's consciousness we really get uh, in terms of anything kind of explicit I'm not saying it's literally yeah, insight, yeah. Um, is um, this poem that repeats over the top in Sarah's Definitely, voice yeah. throughout the um and she's talking film. about her lover isn't she yeah she's and saying... it kind of is a pastoral poem as well it's like yeah. this sort of very uh uh, kind of, uh, I it's lyric. Isn't yeah, it? it's lyric. It's lyric. It's all about relationships. It's, it, it, but it could be a kind of pastoral poem because it's in. It's all. It, it's all interlaced with these rural images that are going yeah, on on screen. Yeah. I can't remember if the actual poem itself is kind of rural, but it's like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think it is. I think she's talking about walking through fields and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's yeah, and it's kind of like oh. But it's but the the important thing about it is that it's uh you know a present tense poem. It's my lover does this, my lover does that. Yeah. That's that that's the refrain of the poem, my lover. And but it's um it comes in in the film before the farm hunt character has even kind of come on screen. Yeah, it's the first thing you see, right? It's the it's the first thing, almost the first thing you hear. See an interaction between Sarah and her father, and then you hear yeah. this monologue and start seeing this kind of um these interesting sort of lapses of images together, um and. I think it's yeah. It, it it almost kind of comes to seem prophetic, and as if Sarah's yeah. saying of this poem and her wishing into being this reality, this pastoral reality, which of which she is the creator, has kind of brought this farmhand into being. But uh, as we say, the unpacking of the pastoral, the puncturing of the pastoral at the end of the film—that's yeah. that's a finite thing. And what's thing. interesting about that poem is yeah, it sort of frames the, it frames the film, doesn't it? And it's talking about her lover, and you still feel like it's something tangible in the, the first time you hear it, I think. But then it's unclear whether it's fantasy or if it's uh, operating this sort of timeless space where you don't really understand yeah. it. It's lyric time, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, lyric exactly, lyric time, separate from the separate from real time. Yeah, is what that means, and it's not go not not going forward as chronological time usually does. It's yeah. sort of operating in this completely different space of fantasy, and yeah, and so her relationship to the man isn't what the film actually ends up being about although it is what it's about literally but as in she's she's not there at the end yeah so so what relation sort of bears this to like muse ship the question of our of our episode yeah because it's actually probably the film that's least related to this question i think no it's absolutely because the other two films are explicitly about people creating art and they're about people sort of they're about identity and how identity flows into flows into people's art and where the line between these between performance and identity comes and whether performed identities are real identities absolutely yeah we've got that we've got that very very clearly haven't we in madeline's madeline yeah. which is um a film all about theatre and using the imagery of theatre all the time. Yeah. Really and specifically masks in particular, which obviously are always about performance and identity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, yeah, no, the, the, the masks in Madeline's Madeline are really, really evocative. Um, we've got this kind of, um, talking about the line between performance and reality and identity, and that kind of includes the identity of the creator as well as the identity of the kind yeah. of the performed muse, um, like, uh, you know, or the kind of um, the, the actor as muse or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we've kind of got this um, balancing act going on in all three of these films between what we think is what we think is real, what we think is going on, 
um uh on screen and um what is actually going on on screen where we have moments in all of these films in the first film we've already discussed that was mild and lovely this is um a kind of um a balance between sort of dream sequences which interject and end up kind of prophesying an episode near the end of the film a, a yeah. violent sequence near the end of the film but there's no as there might be in a, a mainstream film there's no uh, clear delineation between dream sequence and just the kind of the actuality of the plot of the film yeah. um, so we have that as a little precursor but then even more um, sort of starkly Madeline's Madeline ends with um, this big 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 performance um, which uh, in which the um, director who has been directing um, Madeline the female director who has been directing Madeline who Madeline had originally this kind of very um, positive uh, idealistic relationship with and who she kind of over the course of the film comes to realize i think that she's being sort of manipulated and yeah. used by and exploited as a kind of artistic commodity by um she kind of captures this um director and the whole um theater company put the, the, the sort of immersive theater experimental theater company um uh put the the director in the middle of this kind of uh, completely crazy amazing um, immersive theatre piece in which she is kind of no longer the director but the kind of the, the, the perceiver the directed um, as Madeline previously was yeah, Madeline it's takes almost back like a control. sort of haunted house or something isn't it's, it? uh, it's absolutely like the a haunted house it's set um, up, it's she's she's brought in through one door and shoved upstairs exactly, and, and out yeah. windows and all of this and crazy the way it's stuff filmed, the way it's filmed has some all about Eve references in so it's sort of the it's a reference the end of all about me even it's sort of the comeuppance of the yeah flashing cameras the hubristic the hubristic woman who thought too much of herself basically yeah is is the reference but yeah and and it's like sort of fame fame getting the better of fame that's what happens in all about eve is it's fame getting the better of her and that sort of thing but here it's sort of yeah power power getting exactly yeah, yeah. but 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 what's interesting about this really interesting about the sequence it's, it's kind of beautiful and, and, and feels like a, this great retribution that madeline kind of becomes her own agent and becomes yeah. her own director um but you but there is a kind of a crucial ambiguity ambiguity given that the whole film plays with madeline's mental state and um she she does have mental health problems and you're never sure what's real and what's not in Madeline's conception um there's a few minutes in which a few seconds rather at the very very end of the film the last shot yeah in which the um audio changes from this kind of um because uh Josephine Decker plays a lot a lot with audio in a really interesting way in the relation to picture um the audio changes and it goes from being this kind of like almost like um almost like musical-esque right musical-esque but also there's something like kind of ritual about it you know yeah, like it's it's yeah. like the kind of the baying it's of a ritual and, and chanting yeah, yeah that, the, that these um actors are making it it switches from being that um to just like street noises as as you yeah. see madeline turn away um and and and, and walk to the, towards the other end of the street you know just a few steps and she's in this kind of ecstasy um, it's not just street noises it's a beeping car behind her as in there's a, you, the implication being that there might be a car behind her saying get out the way yeah as in maybe none of those people were there and were actually there and it was all in with her. her before her because the camera turns around you see her the camera is standing where you think the performers are yeah so yeah, yeah. as if it were all in her head absolutely yeah. in a napa film it would have cut to black as it does and the sound carries on and you would have heard like um her getting run over by the car or something <laughs> yeah i don't think we needed that to be fair but no it's it's a beautiful it's a it's a beautiful amazing ending but, th- but this a really is beautiful ending, yeah, this really is this thing good. um josephine decker does with um 
uh, directorial, not I won't get ahead of myself too much because I'd say a little bit more about this when we've kind of unpacked the films further. But this is the thing that uh, Josephine Decker does with kind of highlighting her own power as a director, i.e. Yeah. these are all stories about um, th- the agency of women, um, the question of women, the question of, of, of to what extent women can have agency, especially um, in terms of their relationships to other women and how positive uh, or un- unambiguous those relationships can ever be um uh in this kind of patriarchal society um yeah but but josephine decker really likes to kind of bring bring back the question of her own power when she kind of shows us these images that she can make us believe are real and that she can then kind of call that all into question you know she she's kind of um uh drawing drawing our attention to her creation of her own haunted house and how much sort of power she has in this um uh in this world in which she's immersing us um but yeah. yeah no so so madeline's madeline is kind of a um fantastically interesting film in that sense um but it, but this kind of question of, of museship is pertinent because there's a very obvious power relationship with the director and the directed with the actor who becomes her uh muse because the so the, the the story of madeline's madeline is that madeline is this kind of uh mentally vulnerable girl she's yeah. um been on i think uh, medication or she is on medication uh she might have um had to have had a kind of mental breakdown i think but this but yeah there's an absent father that's only sort of metonymized through this sort of empty room that she uses for different things which is full of like room, yeah. pornographic posters yeah, and things like that yeah. it's yeah it's very weird um but uh yeah we uh, it's sad we can't go kind of in more in more detail to the totality of the film and to all the really interesting stuff that decker does with the relationship between um Madeline her mother which is kind of the other center of the film and the parallel center of the film to Madeline's relationship to her director um but yeah Madeline's director gets kind of inspired by um Madeline's vulnerability really like she's she's obviously this amazing performer but she's also um vulnerable and mentally unstable and um the director gets inspired by this and by her kind of fraught relationship with her mother by Madeline's fraught relationship with her mother um, and decides to kind of make her devised piece of theatre like increasingly, increasingly ever more about Madeline's actual yeah. life. Or Madeline is playing the protagonist. So this is this kind of exploitation of life for art, you know, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and the so key thing... you see the process of the art being formed by someone else on her life and about her life. Yeah, absolutely, and you, that's the kind of the, the the thing that the film documents, isn't yeah. it? Um, and but there's a but the, there's a really sort of stark power relationship between um, the director and Madeline because Madeline is this young mixed race, um, uh, well, as I say, young, but like also I think kind of not exactly necessarily working class. Um, I think her mother is kind of presented as sort of I, I, it's it's difficult to tell with class in America, but you yeah. know, like certainly unmoneyed, basically. Yeah. Um, but she uh, and the director who's directing her is a uh, white middle class woman. Um, yeah, there's a scene where Madeline is impressed by her director's big house, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The and um, yeah, and, and there's this. So there's this kind of obviously very stark parallel to start off with. Um, also, interestingly, uh, you know, we can think about um, uh, harking back to Thou Was Mild and Lovely. Um, that our protagonist there is kind of basically also working class, unmoneyed, 
um, kind of in a one-down power relationship, especially in terms of all these men kind of around yeah. her who are who are from the same class background. But she doesn't really kind of kind of have any resources to like lift herself up. The only possible way in which she can lift herself up is through this kind of um, uh, abuse, basically, of this other woman in in order to secure a man. Yeah. That's in that was smart and lovely. Um, and then in Shirley, which we'll talk about and get in, onto in a minute. Um, we have, um, again, a relationship between a younger, uh, less well-off girl or woman and uh, an older, white, middle-class woman who's an artist in some way, be that Shirley, um, who's obviously a writer, or this um, director in Madeline's Madeline. Um, And we have this kind of, this this, this obvious um, um, calling into question of uh, power relations between women and you know uh, this kind of statement that it's not just about uh you know it's not as simple as a question of, of gender there are like particularly class but there are many other factors kind of leading yeah. into to, to power relationships in societies so to get on to shirley um yeah. so shirley is uh, a film about as we said sorry shirley jackson and this younger couple uh, who come to stay with her and her husband yeah, Hyman? So it's the husband's student, one of his be- best students, I think, is the idea, and yeah. his and his and his pregnant wife, who don't have a place to live at the moment, I and think who are quite... younger than the than the couple who are living there, who are like middle aged, basically, yeah, who are yeah, yeah. younger than Shirley and Hyman. They're kind of like bohemian uh, intellectual types, basically, is the yeah, idea. Yeah. Hyman very openly has lots of affairs, which Shirley knows about. Shirley, again, there's an interesting kind of. Um, uh, I think uh, Josephine Decker's particular interest in psychology and mental illness, um, because uh, uh, Shirley is like uh, very kind of me- mentally vulnerable and is possibly recovering from a kind of mental break at the beginning. Yeah, of, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, the film. Um, she, however, has kind of got this big power relationship going with the younger with the younger woman at first she doesn't like her it's kind of obvious yeah. she humiliates her at the dinner table she does all of this kind of very um like seemingly kind of very obtrusive behavior while being yeah very she has ill sort of insight to hint her psychology as well she knows she's pregnant before um she's meant to and things like that yeah she? And she sort exactly of enjoys at the start of the film she seems to enjoy um getting the better of her and having one over someone in the, in the house i think but increasingly throughout the film she becomes quite dependent on on the young woman on rosie and rosie equally becomes uh quite fascinated by her and the kind of uh, yeah. sort of liberation i think that she represents and rosie is fascinated by her work by her novels and stuff right? by her novels as well yeah absolutely and um shirley is equally fascinated by rosie and sort of uses rosie as a bit of a kind of muse figure again talking about the blur between fantasy and reality in josephine decker's films which have these this kind of um they have this sort of beautiful um sort of slippery quality the films yeah. because um uh she uses a lot of handheld camera which we've talked about can be a little bit like in in other people's films can sometimes feel like yeah. a little bit of an overused trope or whatever it's but handheld it's, camera but it's not like in the blair witch project yeah like yeah it's <laughs> not it's not a mockumentary um but yeah no it, it's like this beautiful kind of slippery um quality that these films have where and where we literally kind of in terms of content as well slip between fantasy and reality and um there'll be sequences in which um the novel which Shirley is writing sort of manifests itself in the world around them yeah. because she envisions her protagonist as looking like Rosie and as being like Rosie so it will seem like Rosie will just kind of do things but actually it's Shirley's sort of vision of Rosie so uh, yeah so we have again this 
remember this is again Rosie is a complete kind of dependent in a way in Shirley's orbit because she's in um, although Shirley becomes kind of emotionally and psychologically dependent on Rosie, um, Rosie is like a material dependent and, you know, she's kind yeah. of literally living in her house. They haven't got any money. Um, she particularly hasn't got any money. Her husband was disinherited for marrying her because she had yeah. so little money, basically. Um, so that's kind of really hammered home her like kind of material lack of means at the beginning of the film. So that really kind of puts her in a kind of um, obvious relation to madeline and sarah are other kind of unmoneyed female protagonists yeah definitely um and again in her much like madeline in her kind of um uh being this kind of material this ambiguous material for an older woman to make a film out of yeah yeah her dependence a, a work out yeah of. like she's dependent on herself as as a muse to sustain her actual life i guess yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah. she's amused by yeah. profession and when um, you say these films are sort of the way in the way they're filmed the style are sort of perspectival then as in you feel like they're from one character's perspective almost you say that shirley is um yeah like her, her novel sort of seeping through and it's because she understands the world through her work doesn't she yeah absolutely and and that idea of yeah perspective is really key um we're never left to forget that the camera is an eye that the camera is someone's eye the camera is never yeah. neutral in josephine decker which is i think to be honest we were kind of having a, a, a think about this um about why some th- these are like very watchable engaging beautiful films yeah. why is this kind of like quote unquote art cinema or not art cinema but why is this experimental cinema yeah. as opposed to because they're very engaging and easy to watch actually exactly I but, I, but i think that the, the why it kind of is is that it's always sort of prodding what's and obviously many many films do this and including even some quite mainstream films will do this but yeah. you know in a very conscious consistent way decker is always kind of prodding what's what's the camera who is the camera what is the camera what's it doing there yeah uh, what are we being shown what's the relation between the sound and the picture because when you strip yeah, back yeah. modern cinema those are the two elements of modern cinema you know we didn't always have sound in cinema so when we have sound it's always got to be doing something really effective and what um decker does all the time to produce these kind of um as i say sort of slippery dreamlike experiences is disconnect um sound and image so we often have kind of acousmatic sound that is sound we can't see the source um playing over um apparently disconnected shots but which kind of become disconnected as in the logic of dreams kind of become connected uh to the picture by their being sort of placed in this juxtaposition and relation um by their both going on at the same time um and so we have that this uh so yeah no that's just a little side note to say i think that that deck is kind of always thinking about um where what what our perspective is and, and whose perspective we're seeing from and um exactly what we are being given as an as an audience but totally i think that um that kind of uh dreamy um uh sort of shaky handheld feeling is to do with like a psychologicalization yeah. and, and 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 everything always coming from a perspective and it's not just shaky handheld shots is it there is those and they're sort of often following following things on the screen that aren't the actual the characters they're following there's a great shot in shirley where there's a sort of explosion of snow and it turns into 
an explosion of a crackle and a fire. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, but, um, I think I think the fire there's, there's, there's turns a stillness. into the snow. There's a stillness as well to these films. And she, the editing of these films is also very interesting because she's unafraid to linger on things that are sort of poetic images, i.e. we're meant to sort of read into them. There's lots of images of the animals in That Was Mild and Lovely while the characters carry on talking Absolutely. and sort of flies and different... There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an entrapped spider, I think, which she returns to a couple of mm. times. Or, you know, something entrapped in a spider's web, sorry. Yeah, but 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 we are we are they are films interested in perspective as well, aren't yeah, they? Or very very emphatically because, and I think that that's that matters for this idea of museship, you know, because it matters for the idea of voyeurism. Yeah. Rosie towards the beginning of Shirley is often watching Shirley, she's kind of spying on Shirley in her own house through cracks and and bits in the door. So she is kind of the voyeur on the artist at work. And then, of course, this kind of becomes a little bit flipped round as, as Shirley starts using Rosie in her own art. And yeah. Shirley becomes kind of the way back, back on Rosie herself. We then, of course, have um, in Shirley this transfer into a sort of sexual relationship between um, Rosie and Shirley. Yeah. Um, and again, I think this is something that... Um, uh, there's this kind of brilliant and funny scene. I think something we haven't mentioned so far is that she can be very witty, Decker yeah, as well. Yeah. There, there's real flashes of humour in all her films. Um, Madeline's Madeline is very funny, actually, as I recall, because it's in a kind <laughs> of, you know, it's, it's often very uncomfortable. But yeah, it's, yeah, but it, yeah, but, yeah. It's yeah. uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Shirley is similarly, like, um, there's this great scene around the dinner table where you've got the four, the two men and yeah, the two women. Yeah, that's a really good scene, actually. Um, and uh, Shirley is kind of like, playing very a very rude version of footsie with uh rosie yeah, where she's kind yeah. of like pushing like under the eyes of the men basically or she's like pushing her foot up into her groin and all of this stuff yeah, yeah. and then she's simultaneously orchestrating it and kicking rosie's legs so rosie will like do the same thing to her husband so she'll like play footsie yeah, with him under the yeah. table and it's like flirting with the danger of it and the absurdity of it that's obviously enjoyable for shirley but what's kind of really striking about that image is um that it's uh and you know she's very kind of playful and mischievous but Mm -hmm. what's striking about that image is it's that this kind of interesting like multi-directional sexual relationship yeah yeah. um which i think is uh, and and i think that is just to to get back to that kind of question why are we doing this kind of kind of as as, why are we taking these films which seem so sort of lyrical in a way why are we taking them as political films i think what's really political about josephine decker's attitude to sex is that for her sex is always kind of social it's always something that's constituted through relationships and in, in and in relation to wider society another example of this is like the re- the revelation towards the end of um shirley that uh the, the so-called shakespeare club which her husband has been going to one night a week while rosie has yeah. in a way been cheating on him with shirley or whatever but it but after being kind of basically sort of abandoned by him um uh the, the shakespeare club that he's been going to there is no shakespeare club yeah, yeah, yeah. uh shirley it's, reveals it's to her been, uh, and, sh- and it's not just it's always been uh, a cover for it's adultery not just a cover, yeah it's a it's a used cover by all the men in in the university as well yeah it's an inst- absolutely so it's literally just an institutionalized thing where yeah. it's um just just a club for kind of uh uh professors very dodgily obviously picking up it's set the film is set in the 50s by the way um picking up um female undergraduates in this kind of very exploitative way made the more pinching and everything because shirley is writing a novel 
about a female undergraduate who had who went missing based on yeah. a female, real female undergraduate who, who went missing and who possibly had a relationship with a member of the faculty so this kind of this idea of um art being kind of just completely laced up in the social world from which it emanates is very there and sort of art and sex completely laced up in the social world from yeah, which they definitely. emanate in this way it's very similar to not very similar but it has relevances to uh paul thomas anderson's film phantom thread i think this sort of three-way sexual dynamic mm-hmm. where it's sort of yeah power power relationships between people coming out in sort of small erotic moves and sort of people just constantly trying to get the upper hand it's very reminiscent of that film and that film is also about people's uh the main guy who's a dressmaker is his creativity and how it feeds into it but it's from the point of view of the man definitely and it's from the point of view of it is eventually the woman getting the better of the man yeah that film but um it's yeah is it, the perspectival thing is what's important here i think because it's very starkly and obviously from the perspective of the women although it's the women that are, are it's the women in Shirley that is, is the creative as well and in all the other films it's um yeah it's a question of their agency within an already female made piece of art yeah yeah and the, and their sort of creative potency within a society where they don't have that much uh, power Absolutely. And it takes us back to that image uh, we were discussing as kind of like a kind of a nascent version of Decker's later concerns in Thou Wast Mild and Lovely of the two women, quote unquote, directing the sexual experience for a a kind of um, uh, surrounding circle of male voyeurs, uh, that that relation between um, uh, uh, women to each other, women to men uh, in, in the creative act and also... Uh, takes and, and in this sort of multi-directional sexual act is what I, is what I mean to say. And then also this is kind of also picked up in Madeline's Madeline, where Madeline at one point kind of attempts to seduce her directors. She has this kind of fight fascination with with the female director. You know that they that they, they, they yeah, have yeah. It, they're not not necessarily sexual, but they have this kind of um, uh, intense mutual relationship um, and she kind of uses the husband as a sort of vector she tries to seduce yeah, yeah. him in, in order to kind of identify further with the director mm-hmm. in the same way that the director is kind of exploiting her for identification and kind of mining her identity and, and, and creating her double on stage you know definitely yeah. so, so there's these these really complicated interesting kind of politicized um multi-directional sexual relationships in all these films for sure yeah and i think that idea to touch back on that first image which we were just i was just mentioning in that was mild and lovely about the two women um directing the sexual experience of the man in front of a um audience of men uh i think that the kind of the crux of all of these films is that decker is interested in women who are being watched by men who are then kind of using other women those women are using using other women and this this process is being watched by men yeah um whether that is uh in a kind of more subtle way um because i think the, the relationship in madeline's madeline really is to do with the two women but you know i think it, whether it's in a more subtle way in a just kind of the unusualness of, of having the agent of power of a female director in a, it, and that's primarily 
um, uh, primarily and, and unfortunately the domain of men uh, in Madeline's Madeline and, and yet nonetheless kind of turning around and sort of exploiting another woman whether that's um, the, the, the um, sort of sexual act that I was just referring to and that was mild and lovely or whether that's in Shirley the fact that Hyman is kind of in on uh, Shirley's intoxication and fascination with Rosie and he continues to do his own uh, and he's fascinated and, and kind of greatly um, appreciates and values Shirley's work but is nonetheless yeah. very kind of weird and patronizing and his position to her. as a critic and as someone more famous than Shirley at the time time oh, of yeah, film absolutely. set and that's also just I think in their time generally yeah definitely is, in their time is that he's upset and feels as if it's some sort of betrayal I think allowed in on the creative process whereas Rosie is and it's his lack of a state position as a muse that means that he actually um, has to wield power over Shirley in a different way he does and he does absolutely wield power over Shirley in a different way because Shirley ultimately um, Rosie and uh, her husband leave um, that they leave kind of changed and completely altered by their experience in the case of Rosie in a really positive way, in a way uh, from kind of, so, so over the course of the film, she has become more Shirley-esque really in her yeah. behaviour. And the same with the man as well, that, that it's less seen in the film, but he becomes more Hyman-esque as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I mean, he, in, in a really unpleasant... Um, yeah, an unpleasant way. Yeah, in, unpleasant way, yeah. yeah. As in, you know, the, the, the Shakespeare club, his, um, his adultery and all of this kind of thing. But he says, um, after Rosie being so devastated by this towards the end of the film they're about to drive away and he says oh you know this will be a chance for us to get away to get get more back to normal um and um rosie says taking up this very shirley-esque pose with a cigarette and this kind of ironic look she says back to normal oh no i'm never going back to that back to nice little little rosie or whatever you know that was madness something like that and she and she's really echoing um shirley's stance and shirley's words because shirley the, these are women of the 50s they're kind of totally bound to these domestic setups with the men yeah. uh, and they're not and, and shirley isn't looking at kind of chucking that over anytime soon and neither can rosie really especially because she's kind of materially yeah, bound and the film's never the film never cheaply cheaply ignores that they are still stuck does it, it never, no, exactly that's what i'm saying rosie's not saying takes i'm the going easy to way leave out. i'm going to leave exactly, her husband yeah. but it's to do with um uh defiance and i think yeah that that kind of um refusal to to give it a, like a glib ending or an impossible ending yeah. is to do with josephine decker's real fascination with um the, the kind of the, the the web of social relations which make up the complexity of kind of social actuality exactly, yeah. um yeah and and so so yeah so um uh, men watching women using using women (laughs) uh (laughs) like to get to get back to that the book that uh shirley has created based kind of on her kind of muse muse like almost vampiric relationship with rosie vampiric in that one element although as we see actually there is something much more positive um from rosie to be gained than maybe there was for um 
Madeline in Madeline's Madeline, where her her yeah. uh, exploitation by the director was pretty complete. Yeah, well, um, Madeline's Madeline, the ending is a refusal of the, of the artist, isn't it? A refusal of the of the person who she's a muse of. Whereas the ending of Shirley is the opposite. It's a sort of assimilation with her in opposition to the men. Yeah, and they've also they've both crafted something out of the experience. It hasn't exactly, become yeah, it's collaborative, isn't it? It's, in that way. It is collaborative in that way, although they're going their own way and they have their own sort of distinct products. Uh, Rosie's product is herself. She's created something different through her yeah. interaction with Shirley. She's created a different version of herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Shirley has also created a different version of Rosie, which is her novel. You know, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so there's something. There is something really. I, I, in fact, that's. I think that's a nice way of framing it. That we have this sort of vexed relationship um, between women in, in Decker's films begun in Thou Was Smiled and Lovely kind of brought to its peak in explicitness about thinking about artistic relationships in this very patriarchal world in Madeline's Madeline and then kind of almost the hint of a resolution of this dialectic in Shirley not a perfect resolution not a resolution that's free of exploitation but kind of the idea that two women could quote unquote collaborate that something beneficial and interesting could come out of this despite yeah. kind of the entrapment of patriarchy however we do have the, the final image of, of Shirley which is of Hyman and Shirley kind of waltzing round their living room as the camera sort of lulls inwards and outwards in, in, in the sort of the time of the, I think they are waltzing yeah, they're yeah, sort they of are. dancing around the, dancing around the living room um, and Hyman and Shirley do ultimately kind of stay this little self-sufficient um, bubble who have sort of profited off uh, off Rosie. Um, yeah. Hyman has vicariously, as a critic and a husband, profited off Rosie through Shirley, yeah. and kind of is 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 all the better for the experience. You know, his power hasn't really been shaken. Although in a way, he is the kind of the ultimate patriarch, the mm-hmm. the moneyed, um, the moneyed, successful, uh, famous, uh, kind of intellectually powerful, all of this, or perceived as intellectually powerful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a kind of kingpin of this little universe world and of the film's world um but yeah i think i think i think that that idea that there could be a resolution there could be something beneficial in this creative relationship is is hinted at at the end of uh, the yeah, end of and i think maybe maybe this is a slightly trite point but the the fact that the film was called shirley the fact that she is more famous than him now maybe is almost invoked at the end of the film in her entrapment that she did eventually sort of escape this yeah in, in the posthumous sense at least. and also i suppose other other versions of shirley going forth into the world you know rosie yeah, creating exactly, a yeah. sort of mini shirley in herself that her being her kind of uh work of art that exactly she takes yeah, away. yeah um yeah it's kind of the power of an attitude isn't it the Definitely, power of a way yeah. of being um and again that's to do with sort of um multi-directional relationships that's to do with um identities being doubled and porous which is kind of uh yeah one of decker's really key interests if we think about masks and blindness and not being able to, to know kind of who you're interacting with that's really key uh in the end sequence in the theatrical sequence at the end of madeline's madeline where we have um all of these masked actors and 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 you're not sure about identity and identities are slipping and you're not sure where madeline is you're not sure where the director is um but it's also key in that early image and now we're smiled and lovely um with the blindfolded farmhand and the two women performing the sexual act upon him the loss of identity the exchange of identity doubling in performance can be a really valuable and interesting way for women to yeah. slip around the restrictions of patriarchal society even if only for an instant and even if 
using these kind of problematic muse dynamics definitely yeah it's the mask that becomes and the performance of identity that is the empowerment at the end of these films isn't it i guess yeah yeah absolutely i mean but but as we're saying it might be a kind of a finite empowerment it yeah. might not be it might not be kind fleeting, of ultimate or yeah. yeah fleeting exactly um yeah and i think just to, to to return to that idea of um decker's kind of meta status as a female director kind of really thinking about female creators in all her work to greater and lesser extents um we, we've, we've talked about before how there's there's moments in all these films where um uh something is is presented as literally kind of ontologically real something that does happen and then the carpet is pulled out from under our feet and we realize that it wasn't something that happened the moment in um uh, shirley is this moment with shirley and rosie uh on this on this big rock and this is just after rosie has heard about her husband's adultery and they're there they've got the baby it's the two of them and the baby and you think that rosie is going to jump and you think that she's going to jump and then suddenly the camera swivels round and it's just Shirley yeah. standing alone with the baby. And it's been this long episode where you really did think that they both came up there together and all of this stuff. And it's not that Rosie has jumped, but rather that the episode is kind of eclipsed, that it only happened in Shirley's mind, that it wasn't real. Yeah. It's been whipped away from And us. I have a sense that it's probably an episode from one of the real books as well, although I have no basis to I, that Yeah, up. I don't, I don't know. Like yeah, I, 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 I'm really curious. As I say, we're, we're new fans of Shirley Jackson and have really enjoyed reading some of her stuff, so I, I'd be yeah, keen to read more. Yeah, very keen to read more. some more, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, and we were kind of talking about how it's... Uh, that's sort of like uh, redolent of other images in in kind of evocative, eerie fiction, like pic- Picnic at Hanging Rock, mm-hmm. um, is obviously also about the kind of the secrets between women um, and the kind of the the um, uh, you know famous book and film, um, the, the secrets between women and the kind of uh, the secrets held by the landscape and how um, you know the point of Picnic at Hanging Rock being you never quite know what happened to the girls who went yeah. disappeared at, hang- at Hanging Rock. Uh, and, and this image of of, uh, of Shirley and Rosie standing at the top of this kind of very, and then Rosie disappearing at the top of this very uh, bleak rock has kind of got, got I think, literally some of that sort of, sort of in it, even if not yeah. as a kind of direct point of reference and kind of imbued into it, yeah. definitely. Um, definitely, yeah. It also seems like, as we were talking about after the film, the Bobby Gentry song, Ode to Billy Joe, where it's this similar image of a cliff and women above it. and Woman and a man. A woman and a man above it. And some, some something strange about you don't know what they've thrown off thrown off this cliff. Is it a baby? Well, it's a is bridge, it, isn't it? it, it yeah, a bridge, a bridge, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, because, it's a because, similar thing. Because, and it's a because similar these setting two women well. are holding a baby as well. Um, and also that song is also about the relationship between women in, in that sense. In that, so that song's kind of about the silences between women, about yeah, how yeah. Um, the mother and the daughter can't communicate about what's happened exactly, up yeah. on Tallahassee Ridge. Uh, is it... it is it is it a ridge or a bridge? I think it's a There's bridge. A, is there not a bridge right. and a ridge at different points no, in the song? No, I think it's just a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Tallahatchie Tallahatchie. Yeah, you're making you're making me confused yeah. now. It might be a ridge. It's a ridge or a bridge, but <laughs> anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just thinking about other um, literary and filmic images evoked by this idea of kind of. Uh, absence and mystery and a kind of uh, like 
a wonder about what kind of world we're in you know how flexible is this world how fantastic is this world that's a kind of uh a concern of um picnic at hang- hanging rock whether what happened to the girls and that was a kind of a um uh, a fantasy thing or a sort of uh kind of a realism thing you know what was the disaster that befell them mm-hmm. um and we've got that kind of th- that um sense of the porousness of Decker's world and like the, the the possibilities of Decker's world in that kind of play with literally what is real at the end and I think that that, yeah. that fantastic kind of power move in a way um from Decker as a director about the kind of the flexibility and the porousness of her world is just a really great um exemplar of the kind of agency of the female director it's a crude point in a way but it kind of isn't because we're looking at films that are all about uh female directors female creators female auteurs crafting their own world being impinged in kind of crafting their own world um and uh and and, and how they do that ethically how they manage to do that and Definitely, so yeah. decker is kind of always putting us right up kind of staring down the barrel of the gun at her own power and and kind of forcing us to question that kind of ethically and otherwise you know? yeah it's not it's not it's not a bad point it's a good point because it actually it's a sort of it's a, it's something that the films are very definitely are very aware of is their relationship with their audiences i think yeah and what what the sort of experiential thing is for the audience we say they're sort of perspectival films but that means that the audience is sort of implicated in the, in the event of the film i think and so we're very aware of the relationship between the artist creating the bit of art we are watching as well as watching artists creating art in the film it's yeah it's it's important for that reason absolutely absolutely i think i just kind of wanted um to leave it there with an image of or or a reflection on the title of madeline's madeline because i think it kind of synthesizes lots and lots of the concerns that we've talked about today about about music about the relationship between women about power about agency um so madeline's madeline as a title obviously in one sense it's one of those interesting double doublings so we've got a literal yeah. doubling of a word decker is obsessed with doublings um whether that's kind of very i mean it's very explicit in madeline's madeline where we have um uh, uh the characters literally performing as each other acting yeah. out these kind of um little um sort of series of gestures which represent other real life people definitely yeah. uh but we, we as we've seen we've also seen it in um shirley with the with the collapse of the identities of the two women with the blurring that is a kind of in the end quite liberating yeah, of and the, the identity same in between... that modern lovely as well definitely exactly a yeah. similar thing i think a, with a two similar women, thing yeah. yeah um but madeline's madeline is also i think you're going to say probably a proustian reference yeah absolutely yeah so it's a kind of it's an evocation of proust because the mo- what, probably the most famous pa- passage of um in such lost time uh, yeah is the beginning of swan's way which is the first book um uh of proust's series yeah. which is obviously all about memory it's and funny that the most famous bit is the beginning of the first yeah book. i mean I think it's just <laughs> lots of people just don't really get past that to be fair <laughs> but it is um, also sort of encapsulating what the books are about yeah, yeah. And, and the idea is that the sensation of eating a bite of madeline um which uh, is like a type of cake isn't it yeah that brings back all of these memories this kind of rush of memories yeah he remembers and his like grandma grandma's cake and he remembers like the sort of whole scene and his whole childhood because of eating this one cake and it reminding him of that right yeah it releases all of these memories yeah. and for madeline 
um this kind of film is a sort of and finally the kind of the art piece that she makes or doesn't make as i say it's it's left ambiguous at the end is a kind of recapitulation of all her memories we have this really interesting dark bit at the beginning of this kind of haunted house immersive theater Mm -hmm. thing where um uh, the screen goes dark and we just see or hear rather played sped up um all of these clips from the film previously all of these kind of recapitulated bits that have been incorporated into the art piece of madeline's real life playing in audio form um and so madeline's madeline is a kind of um um you know it's 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 the spur for Madeline, like this artistic relationship with this director is the spur for Madeline for this kind of Proustian journey, for taking control of journey and for going Definitely, yeah. um, back. And then finally, obviously, we have the kind of the ultimate idea about Madeline's Madeline when we're thinking about um, Muship, when we're thinking about that title. Madeline's Madeline is a question of possession. Definitely, Who's Madeline? Yeah. Is she? You know, and that's, and that's kind of um, the point that we've been getting at really i think with all of these films um to whom do women characters belong um to whom do uh uh, women directors belong to whom do women creators belong when we're kind of couched in this uh patriarchal context and how do we still make art in an ethical way in a, in a kind of politically viable way yeah. when we are ourselves and so do you in? think the sort of reclaiming of the muse in shirley in the final film is a sort of is a sort of refutation of that or a possibility for that yeah i think it's i think it's a, i think it's a an exploration of 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 the, the positivity of the of the political positivity of female made made art there's a possibility of that i think yes definitely, definitely. Um, and I think that the point is, in Shirley, we kind of mu- move beyond museship because having a muse is a kind of vampiric relationship. It is a one-way Definitely, relationship. Yeah. But when, but but when two people are one another's muse, they're kind of no longer a muse anymore. It's just a kind of a creative collaboration, and it's a kind mm-hmm. of infinite relationship because you have a you have a loop, you have a circle, you yeah. have something that can carry on flourishing and flourishing. And I think that the idea is that in a kind of ideal world which none of these films pretend or 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 want to suggest exists currently you could have that um creative flourishing between women as a kind of as an ideal form of art really definitely yeah and um on that note thank you all for listening i'd really recommend all these films yeah that was a bit of a serious one guys but um (laughs) we really enjoyed making it and we've been wanting to do an episode on josephine decker for a really long time so i really hope you will check out some of her stuff yep definitely Uh, it's absolutely fantastic yes thank you all for listening bye Hey, dog, hey, dog, hey, dog.
I wonder who's booking my wookie now. Hey, dog, hey, dog. 